In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo or Call. Welcome to Wednesday War College. My name is Jesse Romero. <clears throat> Having a little bit of technical problems here with my equipment here at my studio. But uh, Wednesday War College, today we got uh, Kyle Clement, uh, who is the, uh, we, we consider him the, uh, the the gunny sergeant for Liber Christo. Kyle, are you there, my friend? I'm here, Jesse. How are you today? I am too blessed to be stressed, and it's good to have you on, my friend. Uh, let me just remind the uh, the audience that this month is dedicated to the holy name of Jesus. Uh, make make any excuse throughout the day to project the beautiful name of Jesus with faith, hope, and love into the cosmos. Just just throughout the day, and just do it with, intentionally with faith, hope, and charity. Also, uh, <clears throat> Kyle is very busy doing a lot of teaching these days. Kyle, how can people get a hold of you and hear your great, phenomenal teachings? Oh, um, so you can catch up with what all we're doing at www.montecristo.net. And so among the things that we're doing is we have a daily reclamation theology reflection. So for instance, today in the traditional calendar, we commemorate the conversion of St. Paul. And so um, we talk about the significance of that in light of Thomistic faith and reason, etc. cetera. Uh, there's also a Zoom retreat reclamation theology going on um, this week. Um, we have many trainings and retreats coming up. Um, and Father Riffiger is offering three retreats. But the all of that information is going to be at that Monte Cristo website. And if you have any questions, you can email um, info at montecristo.net and would be happy to go into depth with uh, uh, on those. But we certainly appreciate your interest. There's a lot of YouTubes and videos and things on there that um, that will hopefully be illuminating for you in this particular area. But I would ask that you look at the Monte Cristo website, also the Liber Cristo website, www.libercristo.org. Thank you, Jesse. Oh, you got it, partner. Hey, uh, we've got an interesting first segment here. I just want to kind of get your take on on uh, the uh, former Speaker of the House over from California, Nancy Pelosi. <clears throat> There's an article that uh about nancy pelosi that said that she requested for an exorcist to come over to her house in light of what happened to her husband uh the article is from in newsmax that says pelosi summons priests who exercise evil from home former uh speaker of the house summoned a priest summoned priests the new york times reported to read her San Francisco abode of evil spirits after a hammer-wielding man attacked her husband. Uh, Alexander, her daughter, told the Times, I think that weighed, that weighed really heavy on her soul. 
I think she felt really guilty. I think that really broke her. Pelosi's daughter, Alexandra, told the Times. She also said, uh, our Thanksgiving, she had priests coming, trying to have an exorcism of the house and having prayer services. Uh, also, Father Arturo Albano, the pastor at Pelosi's local parish, he told the New York Post, he says, as far as I know, no exorcism or priest services were performed at her home. And despite Albano's dismissal, uh, reports suggest that Pelosi may have sought help outside of her local church. Uh, I like what uh, Bill Donahue says. He says, Bill Donahue, the, the president of the Catholic League, he urged the former House Speaker to seek help from a psychiatrist. And then he said, the woman is positively conflicted. She wears her Catholicism on her sleeve while basically sticking her middle finger at the Catholic Church every opportunity she has. Bill Donahue said, if it's genuine, she needs psychiatric help. And if, it, if it's not, it's another example of Nancy Pelosi exploiting the Catholic Church for her own personal gain. Uh, Father uh, Vince Lampert, he also, an exorcist from, uh, from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, he says in, an exorcism could play indeed play a role in combating demonic infestation and the presence of evil that may linger in a place such as Pelosi's home. Here's my take, Kyle. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the house. It's made of wood and stucco and you know nails and, and cement. I think she's the one that attracts evil spirit as a result of the fact that she's been living in objective mortal sin just by her voting record uh, and, and, the, and the positions that she takes on the moral issues of this country. She's on the wrong side of scripture, on the wrong side of tradition in the church. I think she's the one that's, uh, that's attracting demons, not her house. And uh, who knows, maybe even her husband. It's uh, kind of suspect that her husband had a guy half his age, and both of them were uh, in, uh, naked or just in underwear in the house when the police came. Uh, and they seemed to be having a good time, I mean, before the police getting there, until the police got there, then he attacked uh, Paul Pelosi. What's your take? Uh, does, does the house need uh, a house exorcism? Or would you recommend for her to get uh, to the sacrament of confession ASAP? So I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. Um, okay. First of all, providentially, <laughs> what <laughs> providentially what's being allowed is is uh, evil to visit uh, visit her in a tangible form. That's always going to be allowed providentially for conversion or amendment of life, and so. When by our actions we draw the attention of the adversary and God allows him to be present to us in this way, it, two things, um, our reason, our rationale tells us two things. Number one, there's a psychological compatibility with the diabolical. And number two, this has a, ultimately a salvific end or a salvific purpose. So, yeah, it's for her conversion. It's, it's a wake-up call. This should be the prick of conscience. Now, with regard to the uh, mechanics of possession or how the demon is present to a house, so there's been a lot of talk, and we even talked about it on this particular show, about the use of the Leo Thirteenth prayer, um, the long-form um, prayer, which is incorporated into the solemn rite of exorcism. That's technically for the exorcism of a place. And so the demon views us, our bodies, often as the same way as he does geography, a place. And so a place of habitual mortal sin, a place of abuse, for instance, a house that was used um, as, an, uh, as an abortion mill or um, ongoing satanic uh, rites or rituals or a house of ill repute. And so the, 
the habitual and constant use of a location, including one's body, for habitual mortal sin, for evil, gives the demon a right, if you will, to be there. And so this is a counterfeit of the holy patina and spirituality that builds up around a holy church, having had masses offered, um, holy sacrifice of the mass offered over centuries. When you walk in some of the cathedrals and, and churches in Europe, um, the Holy Ghost is palpable there. It's a portal. It's yes. So. And yeah. so continued use uh, on the negative or on a sinful use does the same for the diabolical. Makes sense. Uh, and obviously she knows that she has a serious infestation of demons uh, in the house. So at least she's aware of, of, of that. But uh, she's sadly misinterpreted exactly where these demons are. Again, uh, she, she, her and her husband, they need to return to the practice of their Catholic faith. And she needs to start getting in line with the, what the church teaches, especially on the moral issues, which are not political. They're moral issues. And uh, the fact that she embraces these uh these issues that are completely antithetical to the catholic church uh i i think this is where her her spiritual affliction comes from uh here's uh here's what this one priest wrote he he, he responded on the internet father richard perosich from florida he says uh demons respond to authority when the ultimate authority jesus commanded demons they left immediately when the bishop, the successor of the apostles, grants a priest authority, the demons will obey. If no chain of authority is established, the demons will not obey and continue to possess and torment the person. If a place has evil and there's an infestation, it does not require a bishop's approval. In my understanding, he writes, prayers can be said to invoke uh, promptly because their behavior was inviting it back in. Demons will never leave Nancy until she repents of all her evils of abortion, LGBTQ advocacy, uh, etc. Behavior invites them back. They will, infest, they will infest places, obsess thoughts, and even dreams when a person's behavior invites them back in rather than the person converting to Jesus, repenting and doing reparation for the damage that their behavior has caused to them and to all their power effects. The problem is that she doesn't get along with her bishop. He, he's the one that has full plenty of authority to drive any demon out of a location, Archbishop Corleone. Uh, so that's a huge problem. And her, her husband... Uh, can do the requisite prayers to bless the house and uh, perimeter prayers, but the husband doesn't seem to be a practicing Catholic. He seems to, you know, spend his uh, his uh, spare time hanging around with young men in, in underwear. Comments? I I um, I agree with you, I, and I mean it's it's observationally true. It's objectively true what you're saying. And it bears out. I want to go to a couple of specific issues that were brought up. Number one is okay. um, the, juris the jurisdictional issue. And so a lot of our work in the society uh, and my work for Father Ripperger, we have to, these are legal cases, essentially. The demons are lawyers from hell. And so one of the first elements, you know this from law enforcement, one of the first elements is jurisdiction. Jurisdiction yep. is, is always going to be brought up, whether it's a true issue or not. So from a spiritual jurisdictional standpoint, um, when God, it's right up, for Father... Hold up, we got a hard break. Wednesday Warren okay. College, Kyle Clemens. We'll be right back. Stick around. We're talking about Nancy Pelosi and uh, her house, Demonic Infestation. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
when they wore college, Jess Romero, Carla Clemens, we're talking about Nancy Pelosi's request to have her house uh, um, exercised by a Catholic priest. Kyle, you were giving us some uh, some intel, some spiritual warfare intel on, on uh, the do's and don'ts of this request. Yeah, so um, the, the first thing to do is look at the jurisdictional issue or the jurisdictional question, because power and authority are two very, very different things. The power to exercise demons comes from the invocation of the name of Christ. The authority, however, comes down a very uh, structured path, and, and I want to examine that, because modernly, even in some seminaries and um, the infiltration of the Catholic faith and practices by Protestant practices inconsistent with Catholicism, say that you can, because you are a baptized person, you can invoke the name of Jesus and that power and authority are synonymous. These things are incorrect, um, as, as they were, I just stated them. So let's look at, at power and authority, right jurisdiction. So to interview the priest, her parish priest, Father Albano, is exactly the right place to start. The parish within which her house is located and the diocese within which her house is located forms the basis of the geographical authority. And so Archbishop Corleone, through his, he has the authority over the Archdiocese of San Francisco. Then more specifically, the priest, her parish priest, Father Albano, has the um, authority of delegated by Archbishop Corleone to go and do the exorcism. Anybody else other than the parish priest or the mandated exorcist of the diocese working under the bishop, anyone else who goes and exercises that house is not in right jurisdiction and right authority. And they stand, they open themselves up to retaliation. There's a, there is a good indication that she sought um, other priests to come and do this and that they told her they would not do that um, because there was not a clear jurisdictional line. Um, for instance, um, the priests who are friendly to her back in the uh, Archdiocese of Washington who are giving her communion against her archbishop's dictate, uh, who has the authority over her no matter where she is, her personally, um, they, if they go and do that exorcism, of that house, they're really opening themselves up. Second level of jurisdiction is Paul Pelosi, as head of the house, needs to be the one who is requesting this, um, the exorcism, because now we've got a disorder, a woman in a position, assuming a, a spiritual position of authority that she does not have. And so you've got a lot of issues here, subtle, but the devil is in the details. Back Circling back to this idea that if I invoke Jesus' name because I'm a baptized person, that I have power and that power and authority are synonymous, this is a constant uh, source of conflict in the, in the modern church because you have female theologians, poorly formed theologians forming our seminarians that are and ultimately priests that are telling them that in this particular area, there's essentially no difference between the laity and the priesthood, and this could not be further from the truth. So this is a very hot-button issue, even within the church. Um, the general observations you make about her having to leave habitual mortal sin, 
seek reconciliation through the sacrament of confession, yield and come back to a right practice of the faith, all that would have to precede um, any type of exorcism if the exorcism were going to have lasting effect. And obviously her husband would have to come back into a right, right relationship with the church and live in a state of grace as well, because it seems like if, uh, as, as if there's some, uh, uh, some, some uh, things in his life that are disordered. And uh, Kyle, what, let's just assume, hypothetically, both of them would come back to the practice of their faith, both of them, vibrant practice of their faith, live in a state of grace, daily mass, daily rosary, uh, 6, 12, and 6 Angelus, uh, you know, auxiliary Christian Orm prayers in the evening led by Paul Pelosi. Let's just assume that, that they came back, you know, weekly holy hours. Uh, now Paul Pelosi, as head of house, obviously he could just, uh, you know, do, do prayers like the perimeter prayer or uh, the uh, uh, consecrations of one exterior goods. It, again, if they would come back to a vibrant practice of the faith, uh, they would be able to clean it up themselves, or Paul Pelosi would be able to clean up himself. Uh, what say you? Close. Theoretically, theoretically, what you're saying is absolutely true, but here's where we sink in the mud. Here's where Pharaoh's army drowns in the sea. Is this point right? Is that there are two things. Number one, because what she has done is public, the offenses against the truth, the obstinacy and sin, her reparation must be public. Um, and so this is where this is where it all sinks. Um, interior silent conversion and a yielding and a life of penance are one thing, but because she is a public figure, um, the Catechism of the Catholic Church calls for the reparation number one to be public, um, and it and it must be ongoing. And so that is a very, that's going to be very distasteful. Uh, but it also tells you how sincere the conversion is. Here's the second element of reparation. It is the uh, Zacchaeus reparation. If I have defrauded, if I have charged over, if I've done any of these things, I've got to pay it back. This is the profits and things that are made. If anything was done um, illegally or sinfully, um, you know, through a betrayal of trust or any of these things, all that's got to be given back. Um, you know, Jesse, that if you go to confession um, and, and you can repair or restore the damage that you have done by your sin, the priest is going to tell you to do that. If I go in and I say, you know, I've stole $10,000 and uh, he's, he's not going to say, OK, you're forgiven. He's going to say part of your penance is to return the money. And these two very functional concepts of theology are most difficult for the conversion. There can be the prick of conscience. There can be the desire um, for things to stop, but it has to move from regret to repentance. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what uh, James the Apostle called uh, faith without works is dead. And uh, yes, yes. That, that aspect of penance, satisfaction, reparation, uh, yeah, that, that, that's part and parcel of it. Hey, Carl, let's, let's move on to everybody's favorite topic on Wednesdays. They can't wait till you're, you're on. They love your explanations on the deliverance prayers for the lady. The last time that we were together, we stopped on, you were starting to exegete uh, the prayer 
Consecration of one's exterior goods to the Blessed Virgin Mary on page 44. You had made some uh, preliminary thoughts and uh, you, you had basically ended up, you're on, you're on page 45, you started kind of going verse by verse on page 45 on this prayer. Okay, and so we'll we'll just continue on. I think in light of this previous discussion, though, you look at in order to con- consecrate one's exterior goods to the Blessed Virgin, are you in lawful possession of them? Um, you know, is it is it licit possession of these goods? Um, is it righteous possession of these goods? Uh, were they obtained in any way by artifice? And is any everything in your home and with your goods consistent? Because if you've got tainted goods among them then, I mean, just stop and think about it. The Blessed Mother is not going to accept these under her protection. So if you're living in a house that's full of religious objects and and all of these things that are righteously obtained, but you're watching um, fraudulent cable, you've stolen your cable service, or you're working on a computer that's got <laughs> stolen software, um, you know, this is where the devil's in the details. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so and so uh, Yeah, continue. go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I uh, I'm listening. I'm all ears. So here I am at the top of page 45. Um I have uh the natural law by the divine offer, I author, I deliver and consecrate to thee. And so let's look at those two words, deliver and consecrate. So deliver means give up without reservation. <laughs> We're not asking the Blessed Mother to be a consultant or uh, a partner. We're saying, I give you these goods and consecrate to the meaning set aside um, for use consistent with who you are, who the Blessed Mother is. Do you think that she had anything that she held in reserve that she held for herself that she, that was not totally God's? And so this is very, very strong language when you when you start praying this prayer. And then the next one, I deliver and consecrate to thee as thy slave all of my exterior goods, past, present, and future. Wow. So now we've got to go back and say, are all my past goods, present goods, and future goods subject to this consecration? Am I going to conduct my stewardship of these goods in such a way that is in conformity with God's holy will and with the Blessed Mother? I, um, it's, it's interesting when in, in a ranking scenario or even in a real estate holding scenario and any kind of scenario when you're in business, um, to give over the ownership to the Blessed Mother means several things. Number one is, and as a slave, that means you can keep what is there for, for your sustenance to sustain you and your family, but everything else is going to be given over to the Blessed Mother to use and dispose of as she wills. Um, really need to, We really need to read this. A lot of people get into these prayers because they want the oppression to stop. Well, remember that liberation is not liberation from, it's liberation for. It's like paying off your debt so that you can can now go to religious life without that without that burden and mm. people miss this they they just want the oppression to stop good stuff then it goes what it continues there's yeah so then it goes on and this one is this is hard because this list 
And I relinquish, again, that language of giving it up, into thy hands, my heavenly mother, all rights over my exterior goods, including, now this one's hard hitting, my health, my finances, relationships, possessions, property, my job, my earthly success. And I retain for myself no right of disposing of the goods that come to me. Health is the first thing that's listed in that. My exterior goods, including my health. And I think this is where we were last week, Jesse. We were talking about you having come through a fairly significant health issue. Um, oh, yeah. And we don't realize we, we don't realize how your disposition to the world is dependent largely upon your health. Amen. <laughs> Kyle, hold on. It really I'm helps you. Hear the music. Okay. We're coming to a hard break. You're listening to the Wednesday War College. I got Kyle Clements here, who's the gunny sergeant for Liber Crystal. He's a he's the master sergeant. Uh, we'll be right back. He's breaking down the prayers in Father Ripperger's book and giving us a theological exegesis of how to use them. We'll be back. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement. Today's the feast of St. Paul the Apostle in the new rite and in the old rite. St. Paul the Apostle, pray for us. We've got Kyle Clement here. He's the master sergeant at Liber Christu. He's a, uh, when I was in, in martial arts, the top instructor of the studios, we would always call him sensei. So we would have to say that uh, Kyle Clement is the sensei of Liber Christu. And he's breaking down the prayers here. On Father Ripperger's book, a lot of people have questions how to use them, what's uh, the theology behind them, and he's doing just a masterful job just giving us the theological exegesis of the do's and don'ts of these prayers. Kyle, go ahead. You're on, on, on page 45. You're talking about the consecration of one's exterior goods to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and the audience has eaten this stuff up. So the the uh, this this. Prayer follows a contractual form whereby all is given to the Blessed Mother. Um, and then the terms, uh, all the things listed, um, health, finances, relationships, possessions, property, job, earthly success, everything that the demon could prey on through obsession is given to the Blessed Mother. And then the language, and I retain for myself no right of disposing the goods that come to me but leave to thee the entire and full way of disposing of all that belongs to me without exception, according to thy good pleasure for the greater glory of God in time and in eternity. And so what we're doing is um, we're assuming the position of a slave with regard to the Blessed Mother, and it's a, it's a slave, uh, it is a stewardship or a chamberlain role uh, for our own goods. We recognize that our goods are in fact a gift from God, we consecrate them to the Queen Mother. We consecrate them, set them aside, and agree to provide the stewardship as she directs. And so this sets up a relationship with the Blessed Mother that is very, very important to our spiritual well-being and our understanding of exactly who we are. So we become a slave. We become um, a, a, a slave, but meaning non-compensated. Nothing is our own. Nothing is, we live in, in this house that belongs to her. 
we dispose of and, and manage all of these goods as if we are a slave chamberlain or a slave uh, steward of the house. Um, and and the, the slave language is so important to understand the benefits uh, of slavery to the slave. Now, that's an inflaming statement to most in this country with regard to our history of slavery. But if you understand that if you are a slave to a perfect master, then slavery has a whole different connotation. It has a whole different understanding. And so what it means is it is total service, total uh, orientation to the master, total um, admiration um, and, and allegiance and loyalty uh, to the master. And it's not, a, um, it's not an oppressive relationship. It's a liberating relationship. Um, the freedom of the of the slave uh, in a right ordered relationship is amazing. Again, remember that the blessed mother perfects everything. And so, then we 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 go on down through the language. As I now interiorly relinquish what belongs to me exteriorly into their, my hands, that's a that's a really hard thing for us, especially as Americans, is to totally yield and to make our interior conform to our exterior. Quite often we act as if, you know, we act in obedience, but interiorly there's opposition or there's rebellion. Um, we, we do the will of, this, of our superior um, and we technically are being obedient. However, there is a lack of docility. There is the lack of that interior, uh, that interior conformity to the exterior act. And so what this statement is doing is saying, that we will conform our interior to our exterior. I entrust to thee the protection of those exterior goods against the evil one, so that knowing that they now belong to thee, he cannot touch them. And that's exactly what happens, is when this is done correctly and totally, and the objects and the goods and the relationships and all of these things are in conformity with the Blessed Mother and her perfection, um, then the demon can't touch him. I will tell you, if you do these consecration prayers and you have things which are unholy, then they pretty much are set aside. They, uh, it, it, it's going to get, it'll, it'll, will get violent in t at times, meaning it'll get, um, abrupt and very clear that these elements, these items, these possessions, these relationships are not subject to consecration. And I think that's one of the, the language that we need to talk about is what relationships do we have that are not subject to consecration? And this is the uh, this is addressed in, in Libra Cristo and in the uh, protocol when we go through the renounce, reject and rebuke formula. And this formula is actually scriptural. It is. Um, and we started using it in the early 2000s. It's it has since appeared in um, in some other um, deliverance models um, and even some people claiming credit for it. Um, but it, it's scriptural in origin. And then it is um, it was in the early RCIA models. We we see it um, repeated over and over in early Christendom. Uh, Bishop Romagus had it as part of his conversion of pagan scenario. Um, and so there's really n nothing new to this reject, renounce, and rebuke formula, but it is the sorting of one's possessions. It's the going through uh, all of one's exterior goods and saying, 
you know, which ones of these are inconsistent with a consecration. And, and we should do that before we pray this prayer. Go through the rejecting, renouncing, rebuking formula and set these things aside. Set these out of the house. Um, I tell people or one of the, the uh, analogies is you're going to go on the Oregon Trail and you're going to take your family across the United States in a covered wagon. And by the time, if you leave Missouri, by the time you get to Nevada, there's not near as much in your wagon. Um, you, you realize these things are not necessary. A, a piano may not be necessary to life in the, in the new frontier. The point being on the spiritual journey, we place, it, it helps us with detachment and it helps us place more emphasis on the things which have eternal value versus oh, the things that I we like think that. Yeah. are a temporal necessity. I like that you said it helps us with detachment. That's good. I mean, because that's, that's uh, the entire Christian life is, is learning self-detachment eventually by the time uh, our soul leaves our body. So this prayer is kind of a preparation for eternity. That's exactly right. And, and Jesse, we're both in long-term marriages. Um, I, uh, I, I would go out on a limb and say um, pre-marriage, right before you're married, you're in that betrothal time. Um, when you go to set up your new household, uh, everything pretty well fits in a, in a Volkswagen Beetle. It, uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything fits yeah. in a pretty small space because there's not a lot of stuff. But starting with the wedding and all the wedding gifts, we start to amass stuff. And by the time we're uh, ready to retire, now it's going to take uh, an Atlas Van Lines 18-wheeler to move our stuff. And uh, it's still it's from husband and wife back to husband and wife. And as you age um, and go to smaller and smaller accommodations, you're going to be called to, to give have fewer and fewer, quote, things. And so when one when we talk about praying this prayer to our uh, exterior goods, it's like having a spiritual garage sale. You need to go through all your stuff and say, you know, I like what are this stuff? Garage sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so That's then I'll finish like this that. up. Um, Receive, O good and pious virgin, this little offering of what little is in honor of and in union with that subjection which the eternal wisdom deigned to have to thy maternity. And that language is very, very um, direct. It says that in honor of the union, the subjection which the eternal wisdom deigned to have to thy maternity. And so what he's saying is even Christ subjects himself and consecrates his external goods to the Blessed Mother during the time of her uh, being his mother, um, during that time of maternity, his childhood. He, he trusts her. And so this is that whole language is, look, if, if God trusts Joseph with um, the stewardship of Mary and Jesus, and Jesus trusts Mary with his very, uh, the most vulnerable stage of his incarnation uh, up until he reaches a, an age of maturity, um, and in homage to the power which both of you have over this poor sinner. Now we're bringing that in. We're asking to be Christ-like in this uh, subjection to her, and in thanksgiving for the privileges with which the Holy Trinity has favored thee. 
So we're bringing out all the big guns, trusting in the providential care of God the Father and thy maternal care. I have full confidence that thou will take care of me as to the necessities of this life and will not leave me forsaken. So we're saying that if you will take care of me as you took care of the Christ, this is this is more than can be hoped for, and it's more than adequate. But we're also saying we know the poverty, the austerity, the plainness with which he was raised. And so the word necessity, um, necessities are a... a um, something that we want to lump luxuries in and call them necessities, and they are not. Um, necessities are the, the bare minimum. I have well, full confidence that thou was to... Go ahead. Well, it seems to me, it seems to me like this prayer can be done by uh, any Catholic homeowner that lives in a, or has an apartment or a motorhome uh, that lives in a state of sanctifying grace, right? Any male or female... I mean, if the female's by herself, widow, divorced, uh, single, uh, anybody who owns a house uh, and lives in a state of grace can do this prayer. Is that correct? You're precisely right. Uh, it, but it will follow the laws and rules of stewardship. And so um, part of the masculine charge is that he is charged with the stewardship and disposition and accumulation of temporal goods for the good of the family. This is this is moral theology that um, that is part of the masculine role. That's part of. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Wednesday War College. Wednesday War College, you want good news, keep it right here. You want fake news, turn it over to the mainstream media. You're listening to Wednesday War College, Just Romero, Kyle Clement. Every Wednesday we're here trying to teach you and help you how to fight the good fight of faith until we, until we hear the last trumpet sound. Then guess what? Then we're out of here. Kyle, we're talking about this prayer on page 44 and 45. Uh, so, it's a, so it's a patriarchal prayer that's also an imprecatory prayer. In other words, the language there. Is, is really the, the responsibility of the man to be saying this prayer over their house and property, correct? That's correct. And, and in, in the case where he's not there, so again, it's by office. And so the office is head of household. And so head of household, whoever's in the right position of stewardship with regard to these exterior goods has the authority to pray that prayer. And so the authority comes through the natural law. Um, and it cannot be prayed for the benefit of another. And I think that's a, a key thing. And he harkens back to what we were talking about is modernly this, this uh, modern and relativist theological bent that says, as a result of Matthew 18 and baptized persons, we have the authority as well as the power to invoke the name of Jesus. And that's not consistent with tradition, and it's also not consistent with what we see with regard to retaliation. Many of the people who practice these modern uh, Protestant-influenced models, even in the Catholic Church, um, they are open to retaliation. We have lots of cases where people invoke the name of Jesus, the 
they do have the power, but they don't have the authority. And the demon retaliates usually against their family structures and often against these very exterior goods that are being uh, consecrated. Nine, what's missing in those Protestant models, which confuse power and authority in all of them, what's missing is the Blessed Mother's role in liberation and right-ordered Catholic theology and the centrality and necessity of the sacraments. And so if you're engaging in a deliverance model that does not not only acknowledge, but place the Blessed Mother in a position of importance and does not um, advocate strongly for the sacraments and return to the sacraments, then this is going to open you up to retaliation. That's just simply been our experience, and it's extremely consistent. So it's not an opinion. It's just the objective observation of those who do these things. Um, they uh, they end up being retaliated against. And so that's the, uh, and then the, the closing, God the Father, increase my trust in thy son's mother. Our Lady of Fair Love, give me perfect confidence in the providence of thy son. And then, then the prayer closes. And so there is a, there's almost an exchange, if you will, is we're giving the temporal goods, we're consecrating and giving the temporal goods um, and all of our created goods, all of our exterior goods, we're giving those to the Blessed Mother. And what we're asking for in exchange is that we be sustained and that um, we, we be given an increase in confidence in the providence of Christ. And, and in the providence of hope. And so, if you will, there's the exchange if you're looking for a contract model. But this is a formal prayer whereby there is um, rights and things over our exterior goods that we're actually, we're giving them up, we're consecrating, uh, we deliver and consecrate. And so this prayer is often prayed without a full understanding. It's often prayed just to stop some level of oppression. And uh, all they're looking at is the ends that they're wanting to achieve. But the real value of this prayer is in the means, is the conformity to our interior to the words and the, the sentiments in this prayer. Kyle, would it be fair to say that this prayer is based on the principles of St. Louis de Montfort? As I'm reading this, uh, St. Louis de Montfort was big into the consecration of Our Lady to Jesus through Mary. Uh, to me, it seems also like if this prayer this prayer are, are are the fruits of Genesis 3.15, the power that she's received over Satan as well. So I, I see kind of a Genesis 3.15 fruits in this prayer, and I also see the principles of St. Louis de Montfort in this prayer as well. Am I tracking in the right direction? You really are, and it's a great insight. It is a, it's a wonderful insight, is that there is a place for the use of temporal goods, exterior goods, and the building up of the kingdom. And to use them in a way inconsistent with that is in is opposition to the building up of the kingdom. And the Montfort was very um, was very clear that the primary ob, uh, object of all of our efforts has to be salvation, um, and that is achieved through right relationship with the members of the Trinity and the the Mother of God. Um, and it's not achieved any other way. Kyle, we're, uh, this is the last segment. Uh, I want you to let people know how they can get a hold of you in, in terms of listening to the lectures that you're putting on, the catechesis that you're putting on. 
uh, through the World Wide Web. How can people get a hold of you and listen to you? Thank you, Jesse. And so uh, any inquiry can come through info, I-N-F-O, at Monte Cristo, M-O-N-T-E-C-H-R-I-S-T-O dot net. And if you'll go to that website, www.montecristo.net, if you'll go to that website, there are many, um, there's a, a lot of YouTube recordings. There's some talks by father, by me, um, and, and some other talks there that are um, just exhaust that website if you have questions. There's also some things you can request, um, PDFs and other uh, printed documents. We'll be happy to, to get those in your hands. Um, and it also lists all of the retreats. Father's doing three retreats in Wyoming. Um, he's doing a uh, father-son, which incidentally has one uh, spot left. He has a mother-daughter uh, retreat, which has one spot left, room for one mother, one daughter. And then he's doing um, another retreat. Um, we're looking at possibly changing the parameters of that retreat. And um, But anyway, these are in, in Wyoming in the summer at Lewis Lake Lodge. You can find that on the web at Lewis Lake Lodge. Beautiful accommodation high in the Wind River Mountains. Uh, I'm also doing a reclamation theology retreat. We do multiple of those retreats. And the thing is, I'm doing one right now currently by Zoom, and you can catch up. You can still join that retreat. Go to Monte Cristo Info, ask for the, to join that retreat, and then you can watch the Zooms, which started on Sunday. So there's a reflection every morning, and then there's a discussion every evening, along with some some um, uh, lectures or, or conferences. And we're focusing on um, the traditional understanding of moral theology, as well as some of the traditional understanding of elements of our faith. It's amazing to see how far we've gotten. These reclamation theology retreats are offered periodically throughout the year, and they're not the same. They're always uh, powered by what's happening in the liturgy, what's happening in the church. And so there's some universal themes, but they're always uh, significantly different. We've had people who have attended multiple of these reclamation theology retreats. There's also some trainings, uh, training for exorcists, training for mental health professionals, training for um, laity, lay assistance in, in the deliverance ministry. All of the descriptions and prerequisites for those are available on the website. There's also the opportunity to scholarship or sponsor priests. We have priests from third world countries and poor dioceses that are not able to, diocese in bankruptcy, et cetera, that are not able to fund the uh, education of an exorcist, the formation of an exorcist. You can certainly underwrite that. You can certainly sponsor them in the form of a scholarship. And in exchange, you'd have the prayers of uh, and gratitude of an exorcist. <laughs> so, um, those are the things that we've got. That's a quick flyover, but please go to those websites. There are recordings and other things on the www.liberchristo.org. There are talks by Father Ripperger, myself, Dan Snyder. There are other talks there. And I would strongly encourage you <clears throat> to look at the <clears throat> Virgin Most Powerful radio archive the podcast of the jesus 911 show and the libra cristo war, war college yeah. yep and so what we 
what we're looking for is sources for functional theology and and virgin most powerful is a is an excellent source um jesse's programs um terry's program terry and jesse together the bishop strickland program all of these are are consistent with um catholic tradition and what the church has always taught and i think that we need to to identify those voices because they're 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 going to become fewer and fewer in the coming times (laughs) i'm laughing because i think you're right uh we're we're going back to the catacombs we're going back to the catacombs but at least we have the internet now uh the early, right. the early Catholic Christians didn't have they didn't have the benefit of the internet. They they just they just wrote little letters and sent them through with pigeons, I guess. Probably the next time we're on, we're going to talk about renewal of baptismal promises. So we'll just table that for next time. But uh, thanks uh, thanks so much. People really uh, enjoy uh, the Wednesday War College with you and, and Dr. Dan Schneider. Uh, and uh, th- thank you very much for what you do for Holy Mother Church. And uh, we'll. Uh, just uh, I'll, I'll wait for you. Obviously, you're going to text me the next couple of dates that you're going to be on with us because uh, people really anticipate it. Uh, thank you very much, my friend. God bless you. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you real soon. Thank you, Jesse. You've been listening to Wednesday War College with Jesse Romero and Kyle Clement. And uh, Kyle just gave kind of, an, kind of an overview of the Nancy Pelosi situation. Uh, yeah, every single one of us, let Nancy Pelosi's situation and Joe Biden's situation be a reminder to all of us that all of us have to live in a state of sanctifying grace. Let's come back to our faith. Let's learn our, let's study our faith, know our faith, live our faith, and share our faith. Let's become holy or die trying. Pray your rosary every single day. Go to holy mass as often as possible. Read the daily mass readings. I don't care if it's the it's the old calendar or the new calendar. Get the word of God into your system. The word of God into your system, into your soul, is the best antidote against sin. And as Catholics, also remember, we are soldiers of Christ and soldiers of Our Lady. Make sure you're wearing sacramentals in your body, blessed objects on your person. And as Catholics, remember that... Uh, the way you can stay in a state of grace, make sure you have a steady time where you go to confession. Archbishop Fulton Sheen recommended monthly confession for lay people. I think that's a good idea. Maybe some of us need it a little bit more than once a month, but that's the bare minimum, monthly confession, Archbishop Sheen. Hey, we'll see you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands-on apologetics. Think about this. Jesus Christ was thinking about you when he was hanging on that cross. Absolutely. God bless you.